It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Is Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. My guest in studio this segment, Utah Congressman Ben McAdams. Sir, I'm grateful to you for joining me. You hosted a press conference earlier today. You're tackling a pretty big issue, and it deals with uh, front runner, UTA, congestion on the tracks, and how we prepare better for the future. Yeah, so, uh, and thank you for talking about it. We are trying to break the gridlock in Utah by breaking the gridlock in Washington. A bipartisan bill to, uh, to tackle, really bring some resources to Frontrunner. You know, uh, Frontrunner, UTA says that Frontrunner takes the equivalent of two lanes of, of traffic off the freeway during peak hours. That's huge. Uh, and, and, you know, if we want that to continue to, uh, to add, to, to be a, a solution to traffic congestion, a solution to our air quality problems, what we need to do is make sure that Front Runner is, uh, even more frequent. Right now, the complaint that I hear from people, I, I ride Front Runner sometimes and, and it works, but you gotta plan around it. And if yeah. you miss a train, then you got a half hour. And so it's kind of inconvenient for people. If we can make Front Runner more frequent, and, uh, and fewer disruptions, fewer delays, then it becomes a, a viable option for, for so many other people. And we can just continue to give people choices that you can drive. Uh, and, and if you never ride Front Runner, we've taken cars off the road, so your commute is faster in a car. But there's also that convenient option to use transit as well. And I think um, that's, what, that's what we're trying to do here with this legislation is to, to make uh, some federal funding available. It probably have to be matched with state and local funding as well. But to continue to invest in our, our great transit system to make it more frequent, more convenient, more reliable. Yeah, I'm grateful to you for pointing out that this is, in fact, bipartisan. It is an effort undertaken by yourself, this legislative effort, uh, by yourself as well as John Curtis, a Republican. Yeah. Yeah. So John Curtis, you know, John Curtis knows the value of transit as an, as an option for people may not be the option that someone chooses, but we want to have options for available for people. So we've teamed up on this legislation, uh, because of the impact it'll have, uh, to along the Wasatch front. And, you know, we're just introducing the bill. I hope to make it even more bipartisan as we reach out to other members of the Utah delegation and, and some of our colleagues across the country to, to really, again, get bipartisan support. Nothing happens. The reality is nothing happens in Washington unless we can work together. And I think this is an easy one to, to find a pathway to work together on. This is not a cheap project. This costs a, a lot of money. We know the governor, Governor Gary Herbert, has requested a good number of dollars from the state legislature. If I think back to my time working in in Congress for Congressman Bishop, he sent a letter over to Transportation Secretary Elaine Chow uh, re- requesting yeah. that uh, UTA be considered as a recipient of a build grant. Uh, and this effort would, would ease some of that and allow more resources uh, to, to be filtered into this project. Now, let me ask you uh, very bluntly, this project is in fact worth it? Yeah, I think it's absolutely worth it. When you look at the alternative, the alternative is to have people sitting on the road and stuck in traffic congestion. That only not only takes a toll on the individual and their families because they're not at home, they're not at work earning money to put food on the table, they're not at home with their kids. Uh, so it, it, it's a 
individual toll, but also building highways is really expensive. So Front Runner, we've already built uh, the single track. Uh, we, we get in this double track. That's what the funding will go for is, is double tracks. So you can have trains. Right now, trains have to pass at a station. So right. if you've ever ridden Front Runner, as I have, you'll be stopped at the station. Sometimes you wait, sometimes five or ten minutes for the train going in the opposite direction to get to the station so that then you can leave and use that single row of track. So double tracking is going to allow you to not have those delays or sit and wait for another train com- coming the opposite direction direction um when we build out this system so to add capacity to a commuter rail like build out build out well yeah adding the adding the second row of track electrifying is the other goal uh when you build out that system if we have to increase capacity as our population grows because it is growing really fast uh you add another car you know, it doesn't take a massive investment. It, it, it's the investment up front, but for it to build out capacity on a highway, we're to, we're going to get to the point that you're having to double decker and elevate, and that's astronomically more expensive than than uh, adding a car to a rail system. So it's it's a smart thing to do from a taxpayer's perspective. Uh, it's cheaper and it gives people more choices. You know, it makes driving actually an option for people because they they'll have less gridlock because. Other people can ride on the train. But if you're riding the train, you know, we got to get our transit system to the point that you really don't have to plan your day around it. You just show up and you know a train's coming within a few minutes. And if you miss that one, there's the next one. And and that's what's really going to drive even greater ridership to our transit system is convenience and reliability frequency. Let me ask you this. Uh, philosophically, where is it the role of Congress, uh, the federal government, to, to be weighing in? on uh, local transit issues. So, and what we're doing here is uh, we're making it available. So I, I think, I actually think that there's there's kind of a hybrid role here. We should always look to the states and the localities to tell us what the need is. They study it. And Utah does a pretty good job. We have one of the best departments of transit in the country, or Department of Transportation in the country. UDOT is one of the best in the country. Uh, UTA, I think, has, has made great strides to fixing some of their challenges in the past. They're a much better, much more streamlined agency today. So we should be looking, Congress and the federal government should be looking to the state of Utah, looking to the localities where this transit system is located to tell us what the priority is. And then uh, we want to make sure that we are, that those federal funds that go towards supporting transportation go to the highest priorities within the state. So we already know from the state of Utah that double tracking front runner is a, is a top priority. Electrifying the trains to get away from the diesel uh, that, that do break down their high, high polluting vehicles, uh, you know, probably less so than, than, thousands of cars on the road, but electrifying them will allow, allow uh, greater reliability of the trains. That is a priority of the state of Utah. So we're not coming in and saying what the priority should be. We are taking an existing state priority. And what the legislation actually would do is say uh, that, that there's already an existing federal grant program uh, that the front runner would not be eligible for. So we have a new starts program that if you're trying to start a new to do a new transit line, new transit system, or um, extend a transit line, that's available for new starts funding. Um, we want to say that, uh, that some of these federal grants are available to improve the capacity of service within an existing line. So we're not extending Front Runner; we're adding a, a double track. We are electrifying, and that's going to improve service quality, sure. reliability, frequency, and that should be eligible. You need statute to align with the spirit of the that's programs right. exactly. across the country. That's exactly right. Let me and then Utah would apply. We're not. We wouldn't. Sure. It wouldn't even be automatically eligible. Utah would have to apply and compete, and hopefully, I think would be a very competitive application. And where do these monies come from? 
Uh, it's out of the f- uh, federal transportation funding. So it's existing revenue. Uh, it's not new revenue, but it's existing revenue. We're looking to reauthorize this year the FAST Act, the Transportation Authorization sure. Bill. And so it would take out of existing revenue to say that uh, improving the quality of service within an existing corridor is an eligible uh, eligible grantee. Do you have partnership and support yet in the Senate? Yeah, so we're, we're just starting the process. The bill was introduced this week. We've gotten some really positive feedback. We've uh, had conversations with the Transportation Committee staff. So the, the process, now it falls upon Representative Curtis and I to start building sure. the, that momentum, reaching out to the Senate. I think that, you know, you look at the state of Utah and how collaborative we've been in supporting transportation investments. I assume that we'll, uh, we'll get good local support and good support from our colleagues uh, throughout the country. But, but that's our job right now is to start to build that support. I'm going to be unfair to you because I'm going to change topics here dramatically, and I'm going to give you only about 30 seconds to respond. Okay. You, uh, at the end of last month, came out in support of Mayor Michael Bloomberg and his yeah. run for the presidency. He'll be coming to Utah on Thursday. What do you anticipate his message for Utahns being? You know, he's a mayor, and, and that's really what drew me to him as a mayor uh, myself. I, mayors are, uh, you know, Bloomberg has, uh, has an ideology, some things I agree with, some things I don't uh, with Mayor Bloomberg. But what I like about him is he's a pragmatist. He's willing to work with people, try to unify people to, to get things done. And that's what I think we need right now in the country. We need a unifier. We need a pragmatist, somebody who's going to bring ideas to the table but recognize that they don't have a monopoly on good ideas. Other people, Republicans, Democrats, independents, have good ideas, and we should uh, forge a way forward as a country. We've got to put some of the divisiveness behind us and find a way to work together uh, in spite of our differences or maybe because of our differences. Representative Ben McAdams, he alongside uh, John Curtis looking for a way to open up some money for UTA to expand services here in the state of Utah. My guest in studio, sir, I'm grateful to you for your time. Thank you. Listen, next up on the program, I'm going to talk about something that broke my heart this morning. I saw the headlines where the Boy Scouts of America today filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. It's a heartbreaking story, uh, and there may be some lessons to learn. I'm going to share with you some of my thoughts next up here on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.